Welcome world to Surveillance Report 42, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in this crazy industry. This report's gonna recap some of the most notable events in the last week, from a couple data breaches that we had to deal with, some Google and Apple company news, as well as some AWS stuff. Uh, we do have some fun research as well, like we do every week, and this one actually has some stuff that might impact the real world. And also we have some FOSS news, like we have, we're gonna talk about the Free Software Foundation again, Freenode, and we have some misfits, like we do every week. I am Henry from Techlore. I am Nathan from The New Oil. We're gonna, we're gonna try a new one this week. So this episode is going to be brought to you from our link to Abine Delete Me. So we reviewed this service a few months back at this point where if you're in the US especially, pretty much your, your home address and your personal name and everything else about you is likely on the internet if you've never actually taken care of this stuff before. And these are on something that we call people searching sites. So Abine Delete Me is a service that goes into these people searching websites and removes your information for you in an automated fashion. Uh, there, your information can be on dozens of websites online and it's otherwise kind of a pain in the ass to do yourself. So we did a review of that. I'll leave a link to the review below as well as a link to sign up for Abine. It's a really good service. I tested it, it worked really well for me. It worked well for our editor and also a family member. So definitely overall recommended thing if you're trying to get rid of your information online. All right, let's go ahead and start this week in data breaches. And we are gonna start out with some news from Checkpoint Research. They discovered a series of mobile apps that were misconfigured and basically exposed the data of over 100 million people. So like I said, um, they found a series of mainly misconfigured and misused backend items, which we'll talk about in a second. And it resulted in the compromise of over 100 million users, including email addresses, passwords, chat contents, dates of birth, payment details, locations, names, and more. The type of misconfigurations we're talking about included things like no authentication to view the database, which is, of course, a really big one. The ability to send push notifications as the developer, which is a huge problem, of course. And even storing secret keys in the same database as the content that those keys were supposed to be protecting. Although I would argue that storing secret keys at all is kind of an issue. Our next story is going to cover a pair of TPG Trusted Cloud customers that were involved in a breach. So Trusted Cloud is a legacy hosting service used by TPG Telecom. You'll know who those people are if you use them. And TPG says it's isolated from the rest of their services. So these customers were businesses and not individuals is the context that's being given here. Uh, TPG does not believe any other services or customers were breached, but it did say that it beefed up its security anyway, based on their word. The lesson, always update, and always keep an eye out to see when the next breach happens so that you can migrate to a new service if you don't trust the service anymore. Starting off in companies, we're going to talk about Google, and this one's going to make your skin crawl, I think. Google is teaming up with HCA, which is a healthcare corporation who operates 181 hospitals and over 2,000 lesser healthcare locations like walk-in clinics and stuff like that in 21 states here in the U.S. And as part of this agreement, Google will be getting anonymized patient health data from both uh, patient health records and internet-connected medical devices. Quote-unquote, anonymized. They are planning to use this data to create algorithms that will hopefully help doctors make better and more informed decisions. In case you guys did not know, this is not the first of this kind of deal. Healthcare has been the next frontier for data companies for quite a while. Microsoft and Amazon already have deals like this, and Google also had previously contracted with Ascension, which is another big hospital chain. We have them all over in my hometown. 
With HCA, Google has access to 5% of hospital services in the US. That company alone handles about 5% of all visits here in the US. That's about 30 million patient interactions a year. HCA has, unrelated to this, in the past they have been accused of prioritizing income over patient and staff safety, so that does not bode well. Our next story isn't too much of a major surprise, but as part of Apple's ongoing journey of securing their operating system and their laptops, it's come out that it's very unlikely that Apple will continue allowing bootable backups. So if you dual boot, that might not be too possible from here on out with an external drive at least. Um, there's already a lot of people saying it's very hard to even boot Linux on a MacBook with dual booting, with Bootcamp as is. So as you can expect, it's only going to get more and more challenging with time. But, and I, I will add a positive here. I know some people are gonna be like, Apple uses security as a way to get what they want, but it actually does improve security. To what extent is up for debate, but they do improve security through doing things like this. That's the one positive thing I'll say. I know it really does work in Apple's favor. I'm not saying they, they don't use it for their own advantage and their own competition, but just <laughs> devil's advocate. <laughs> Nate's looking at me like, oh man. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> okay, and our last company story. AWS is announcing three new data centers in the Middle East. There's not really much to say here, but the reason I thought that this was worth highlighting and keeping an eye on is because Amazon has contracts with the US government and probably lots of other governments too. They have numerous contracts to uh, provide cloud services to the government for all kinds of things, and those mainly, of course, run on AWS. Uh, Amazon Web Services, I believe, is what that stands for. There's a risk there with just all the amount of sensitive government data, not to mention the fact that uh, misconfigured AWS buckets are a very common data breach source. So this potentially has serious implications when it comes to data access, because as we saw with last week's story about Apple storing the keys in China, wherever the server is physically located, that country has jurisdiction over those data centers. Yeah, it's just something to keep an eye on because as we're opening new data centers in new countries, there's all kinds of legal implications and jurisdictions and stuff like that. And with that, we are going to roll into research. So our first research paper is about Chrome extensions that are manipulating security headers. Something I, admittedly, I didn't really think about this until I started reading this, this paper. The way browser plugins work is they're basically given privileged access to your browser and all the APIs that come with it so that they are allowed to do things that normal web pages and applications can't do. And as we have often covered in this podcast in the past, a lot of the time there are shady extensions that abuse this privilege and they will do things like inject ads, steal your passwords and your other data, uh, deliver malware, things of that nature. Well, two researchers decided to examine, I didn't write in the notes, I think it was upwards of 800,000 plugins. They discovered 2,400 Chrome extensions were also tampering with the security headers in Chrome. And fortunately, that's kind of a small number, but that's still like 2,400 more than it should be. The article goes into all the detail, but basically this seriously undermines the security of Chrome. It means that when you download an extension, it, as, as I'm sure we know, it can do all kinds of things that it shouldn't. And they're basically proposing that Google needs to add a way to monitor extensions that are doing this to improve the security of the browser for their users. So it's a really interesting read, especially if you don't know much about plugins. I, t I highly recommend it. Our next article is a 
memory chip vulnerability. So this one's called Rowhammer, which was a RAM, well, it was originally called Rowhammer, which was a RAM attack discovered back in 2014. It initially was thought to require physical device access, meaning it's unlikely to impact most people listening to this, but eventually researchers did find a way to use it remotely, which is now a much bigger concern. The it, way this it works uses that is it rapidly runs- we talked about like a couple months ago. If you remember that. Yeah, which I, I didn't understand then and I still don't fully understand now. But just it does things with your RAM, <laughs> which allows them Basically. an attacker to gain access to through your RAM. Um the article's fascinating. Long story short, RAM is getting physically smaller and put put closer together inside of your devices, which means Rowhammer is unlikely to go away anytime soon. Um, and companies and researchers are working hard to mitigate this. And I wish that I could tell you more about how this works on the fundamental level. But this is beyond my scope. Yeah, I don't understand how it, it says that uh, by running the processes, they can build up enough electrical charge to alter the RAM chips that are next to the infected one. And it's like, how how can you control the physical electricity like that remotely? Like, I, I don't know. It goes above my head, too. I, I don't. It's crazy. I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's I think this is very high level stuff. <laughs> yeah, it goes way above my head. All right. And our last story here in the research section Researchers have discovered that U.S. troops have accidentally disclosed nuclear secrets thanks to apps. So U.S. troops guarding nuclear weapons in Europe were using apps like ChegPrep, Quizlet, and Cram. These are apps that allowed users to create their own custom flashcards, which is, of course, really, really cool. So, you know, if you want to study a topic that's not there, you can just make your own flashcards. The troops decided to use these apps. I don't know if they did it themselves or if it came as a command from higher up. I'm assuming a command from higher up or something. But either way, the troops were using these apps to memorize important information about the bases they were assigned to, like, you know, exactly which shelters had nukes in them, the number of nukes they had, which ones were hot, meaning like ready to fire at any minute. Uh, one of them even included distress words, which is, you know, you, you see that a lot in like action movies where they'll call the spy and based on the code word he uses, you know, they'll know if he's in trouble or not. Unfortunately, these apps are not end to end encrypted. They're not zero knowledge, which I mean, to their defense, they're flashcards. I'm not really going to give them too much crap for that. Therefore, it meant that this stuff was visible and researchers managed to get eyes on it and alerted NATO and, and the U.S. military. In affected locations included the Netherlands, Germany, Turkey, and Belgium. Uh, Turkey is definitely a hot spot, so that's really scary. One, one phrase they used to tell me all the time in the military was good initiative, bad judgment. And uh, I feel like that kind of applies here. <laughs> I think the story really highlights the fact uh, that this stuff still needs to be exposed. You know, we, we think that it's so obvious especially those of us who are like really into privacy and talk about this stuff all the time, we think that it's really obvious that this data presents a risk, but stories like this show that clearly some people are still not familiar with that risk and don't understand that risk. And, uh, you know, we just need to, to raise awareness more, I guess. Now we're going to move into politics. And our next story is, you know, it, it's not too unexpected, but it is kind of a bummer. So last week we talked about how Amazon is planning to continue not... Uh, allowing law enforcement to use its facial recognition software. And this goes back to a year ago when they decided not to, and Amazon just recently extended this, and Microsoft and IBM were also not doing this. The problem is just because these three major tech companies aren't supplying this technology to law enforcement doesn't mean that lots of smaller players aren't filling that void. Um, so specifically, we're seeing companies like Clearview AI, Trueface, AnyVision, Effectiva, Kairos, Accenture, BioID, dozens of others. All these smaller companies are still supplying the same technology 
to law enforcement. So just because these major tech companies are involved, know that it is still happening, which is very unfortunate to hear. On the bright side, there are about a dozen cities who have completely banned facial recognition. Portland, Boston, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, and a few other places in, in the US. There's a, a lot of money to be made in government contracts, which coincidentally leads into our next story. Tech companies are trying to convince schools to use their COVID relief money on surveillance tech. So this is another thing that we touched on in the past. Surveillance technology is becoming really, really popular in schools. And I'll go ahead and say, I, I understand the draw. It would be really cool if you had a camera that could instantly identify when someone who is not supposed to be there steps foot on grounds and you can, you know, go tell them to check in or keep tabs on them or whatever. I'm just saying, I understand the appeal. Basically, when COVID-19 hit here in the US, schools were under a lot of pressure to rapidly go all digital so that kids could learn remotely. And as a result, a lot of schools got aid money from the government to help aid in that transition. And now surveillance tech companies are realizing schools have all these money, or schools have all this money, and they are you know, trying to get up to date with the, the times and be technologically savvy. So they're taking advantage of that and trying to sell this technology to schools, which not all of it has a place. And, you know, on top of it, there's a lot of concerns about how long is that data going to be stored? Who's going to have access to it besides the school and the, te the tech company that's providing it? Just there's all kinds of concerns. I'm not saying that this stuff is just across the board good. There's definitely concerns with it that are probably not being addressed. And tech companies are just trying to get their piece of the pie. The next one will be more interested in those of you who may be more in the InfoSec community. A former FBI intelligence analyst has been indicted for stealing confidential files over a period of 13 years. So this is another um, insider threat with a rogue employee. And this just goes to show that even on the government level, you can still see this kind of stuff happen. It's happened in the past with eBay, Shopify. Obviously, you have the, the big examples like Snowden, uh, but this stuff happens very frequently. So remember insider threats for those of you who are in infosec well and also just in general like a with ebay and Shop shopify you know that affected actual customers and you make a good point usually at okay, the government oh. level it doesn't typically affect the end user but it's still something to be aware of anytime you hand out data in my well, opinion we we read that story very differently because i immediately <laughs> went to like because I, I i i was in a research lab that was mostly re regarding info security and uh. so my mind goes to like the company point of view on this issue. And, I mean, and that's, you that's at also it more worth from like, noting, this can impact end users. Yeah. That's also worth noting. And you're right. Usually, usually at the government level, it's, you know, people selling secrets for money, or occasionally we get people like Snowden who have good intentions. But yeah, I, I was just kind of going more for the like, you know, even though this probably doesn't concern most people listening, it's still just remember that anytime you hand out data, you don't know what those employees are going to do with it. So. All right, so our next story, we're going to head to Russia, where Facebook and Twitter are being told to open databases in the country. Basically, and we touched on this earlier with the AWS thing, I don't think the article specifically said this, but the way I interpreted this is Russia wants more control over the data of its citizens. And unfortunately, I don't think they want it in like an EU, you know, give their citizens rights kind of way. I suspect they probably want it so they can access citizen data, crack down on dissidents and things like that. But, you know, it, it goes back to, again, the AWS thing, and we've talked about it before with lawsuits about EU citizen data and where that data is stored. Russia wants big tech companies to start holding citizen data in Russia so that Russian laws apply to it and they have easier access. And they are actually taking this seriously and cracking down on it. Like uh, Google just got fined. 
uh, Twitter is being throttled. So, I mean, they're they're pretty serious about this. This isn't just like a, a PR statement. Okay, so a little context for those of you who are also American. There's the GCHQ, which is like the UK NSA. And it has been found that the GCHQ mass data interception violated the right to privacy. This was done by a human rights court inside the UK, which is overall a fantastic thing. They ended up ruling that the program violated free speech rights and, quote, oh, hello, Mike, and, quote, contained insufficient protections for confidential journalistic material, but said the decision to operate a bulk interception regimen did not of itself violate human rights. So... I'm not quite sure what the takeaway is here or if anything's going to be done about this, but that's the ruling. I mean, I guess it's just something to be aware of. You know, yay, they they ruled that it was unconstitutional, but at the same time, they didn't say the program itself was bad. So it's it's a victory, but it's also a temporary victory, I guess. It's, un- it's unconstitutional, but we're not going to do anything about it. I mean, that's that's <laughs> probably the more likely outcome, but... And on the topic of the UK, 10% of Brits had their location tracked without permission for a vaccine study. So the government decided they wanted to see if once people got vaccinated, they would be uh, more willing to travel. And without asking permission, they decided to just start tracking people via their mobile phones, via cell phone towers. And the government is trying to say this is not a privacy violation because the data was anonymized. Gotta love that A word. Or understandably, a lot of people are upset because... You know, you're still tracking people without asking. And it's it's ironic because even the person in the article was like, it, you know, if they had asked me, or the person who wrote the article, he was like, if they had asked me, I'd, I would have volunteered. Like, people are probably willing to hand over that data. I don't know. It's just, it's weird that they didn't ask when I'm pretty sure people would have been willing to hand that over, especially for what some would argue is a good cause. All right, our next story is going to head to the Middle East, where there is a malware targeting Israel. This is a new strain of malware they are calling Apostle, and it is from an Iranian group called Agrius. It pretends to be ransomware. This is the interesting thing. It pretends to be ransomware, but it actually just deletes the data. Maybe I missed it. The article didn't say whether anyone actually gets payment, or maybe they brushed over that. I I don't know. The primary target, like I said, appears to be Israel, although it also has popped up in the United Arab Emirates. Unfortunately, the article mentioned that members are abusing ProtonVPN. One of the ways I recommend to vet a VPN service is to go ahead and search that VPN provider and then the word logs. So like ProtonVPN logs. And if you do that, a Reddit post will pop up where somebody accuses Proton of logging his activity because he was, I, I believe, committing like hacking of some kind and Proton banned him. And it's a hilarious exchange to read because the the actual official Proton team does jump in and they say, no, we don't keep logs, but we did detect that someone was abusing our system and we started performing real-time analysis to find that person, which we figured out was you, and banned you because you're breaking our terms of service. And apparently that guy doesn't know the difference between RTA and logs. But anyways, the point is, Proton admits that they will do RTA if they detect abuse. Hopefully they will do so here as well. And uh, I know probably the elephant in the room Does this malware have anything to do with what is currently going on in Israel and Palestine? It doesn't say. There's no official confirmation, but I mean, there's obviously a lot of political tension going on there, so it is quite possible. We're going to jump over to China, where we have a couple of stories. First off, Oracle is selling surveillance tech to China, uh, police surveillance tech specifically. This article, it's, it's a long read. It's totally worth it. It talks about 
basically how predictive policing was rolled out here in the US and the companies that use this software have no moral compass. I know that's kind of an editorialized translation, but it's also kind of true. And they just go around the world selling that technology to literally anyone who wants it, including highly repressive regimes like China. That's uh, something to note. And speaking of that, the reason we know they're highly repressive regimes is China was caught launching cyber attacks on Uyghur Muslims by pretending to be the United Nations. Man, I don't know how to tell this story without editorializing, so I'm sorry. But basically, China was fishing Uyghur Muslims, which is, you know, it, it's 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 a bad thing that a country is doing that, but also, like, that's that's a common cyber attack. The thing that makes this story really upsetting is they were using UN branding. So basically, they would email Uyghur Muslims pretending to be the UN, pretending to send them specifically information about what to do if you're living under human rights abuses. And then it was actually malware. And that's just, man, I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, sorry, sorry if that reporting was too biased, but you can feel free to read the article yourself and see if you come to a different conclusion. And on that note, we're going to wrap up our politics section in India. So this week has been a roller coaster for India and WhatsApp specifically. India announced, I believe they technically announced this in February, but it seems like they're, they're now starting to take effect. India has announced some new rules for social media that are designed to make it uh, a little more accountable and a little safer in terms of like cyberbullying and misinformation and stuff like that. The big problem seems to be that the way these rules are written they would effectively outlaw end-to-end -end encryption because WhatsApp has to be able to trace certain messages. If there's, for example, if there's certain abusive messages going around, WhatsApp needs to be able to trace them and who perpetuated these messages and who started it and all that kind of stuff, which would require breaking end-to-end -end encryption. WhatsApp has responded by suing the Indian government. The Indian government is responding, saying, you know, WhatsApp users don't have to be worried. We're just trying to make the platform safer. This isn't a privacy violation. We're just trying to make everything safe for everybody. For now, Facebook, WhatsApp, and Google are kind of complying, mostly complying with these rules. But that lawsuit from WhatsApp is still ongoing. So it is a weird world we're living in where WhatsApp is the good guys. But I'm actually kind of hoping they win this one because, yeah, end-to-end -end encryption is, obviously, we believe it's very important. And... Maybe India has good intentions, maybe, but I don't think they're going about it the right way. We'll keep you updated as that unfolds. Let's roll into our FOSS section, which is free and open source software. We're going to start off with a story about Threema, which is an end-to-end -end encrypted messaging app that just last year or early this year, I can't remember exactly when, but they went open source and good for them. That was a good move. Uh, Threema is actually considered very secure. It's it's a very well-reputed app. Reputed app. And the fact that they've gone open source is just that much better. So this story actually starts in 2018. The Swiss government took three minute court because they wanted user data. Uh, I don't think they wanted a specific user. I, I couldn't really tell from the article, but basically they were just like, you've got to give us user data. And Threema said no. The government was trying to argue using the Telecommunications Act. And Threema said this doesn't apply to us because we don't actually provide the infrastructure and the Telecommunications Act only applies to companies that provide the infrastructure. We just make an app. And the court actually ruled in Threema's favor and said, you're right, and they don't have to hand over anything to the government. Any user data, any metadata, any backdoors, nothing. A couple of notes that I think are worth taking away here. One of them is a digital expert. They didn't really say what his expertise is, but this guy, Jean-Claude Frick, 
said that rulings like this are not again a hit against security. You know, a lot of the time governments are like, well, we need to stop terrorism and stop drug dealing and stop child pornography, which we do. I'm not saying we don't. But he said, you know, these are not going to get in the way of that because, and his quote, anyone who doesn't want to be found will find a way anyways. So he's like, all you're going to do is is take encryption out of the hands of law-abiding citizens. All the criminals are just going to go find another encrypted app. So this is a win. And the article also speculates that if Threema had lost, they would have probably just relocated to another country. And I just think that's worth noting because a lot of the time people ask, you know, what if these messengers are compelled by government law to do something? A lot of them, if they're really serious about privacy, they'll just relocate. Also, uh, keep an eye out on our YouTube slash Odyssey slash PeerTube channel because there will be a very ultimate messenger comparison coming out in the next few weeks, which I think all of you will enjoy. Dun, By dun, the dun. way, an interview, an interview with people is not an endorsement. I don't know why I have to say that. We did that session in, well, Nathan did that wonderful session interview and everyone's like, wow, TechLore has endorsed session. And it's like, no, we have it. <laughs> like, I'm not saying it's good or bad. We just did an interview with them. Make up your own minds from the interview. We will maybe make more formal stances on it down the road. But guys, an interview is not an endorsement. <laughs> I mean, to their defense, I, I did a couple of times say, like, personal opinion. But I also said that. I'm like, hey, this is my personal bias, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That's fine. I'm like, what's, what's, what, where are you guys getting this information? They're like, yeah, TechLore now recommends Session. And it's like, it's not even on our website yet. Like, where, where are you guys getting this? We never, I never said it. <laughs> the one I don't get is every so, time we post any one of these surveillance reports, especially ones that mention Signal, people are just like, so should we not use Signal? Like, when did you guys stop recommending Signal? And it's like, we never stopped oh, recommending that, that, Signal. <laughs> I get that too. So people are like, wait, so now we don't use Signal? And it's like, no, we just covered the news story. This isn't where we're like coming up with formal like recommendations for you constantly. Like we, we might give little takeaways here and there, but this, just a general FYI for surveillance reports, if you listen this far, because you're probably one of the, the more uh, committed listeners if you're even this far into this report. We're covering news. That's it. We might have a general takeaway, but you're very rarely going to hear us say, don't use this because of this story. That's not normally what we do here. This is meant to be an educational resource for you so that you can get the news in hopefully a more unbiased way to make up your own mind about things. So, so yeah, if you actually do want to hear our formal thoughts on messengers, check out our videos coming up in the next few weeks because we will have an ultimate messenger comparison, which will feature things like Threema and Session, and you can get more of a breakdown because an interview is not a breakdown <laughs> or an endorsement or a recommendation to like install it and use it and to replace signal. I, I don't, I love you all who listen, but that's, come on guys. <laughs> all right, let's, let's move on to our next story. So the Free Software Foundation's executive director has resigned. And this is just a continuation of lots of changes that have been happening with the FSF. For those who don't know the FSF, it's an organization and they're in charge of the free software movement. They've been going through a lot of things recently because they introduced Richard Stallman back into their into their organization, who is a very controversial figure. And now there's been a few people who have dropped out, and it's unclear if this person dropped out because of that or just completely unrelated reasons. Um, I did find it ironic because now they're searching for a new leader, and they use the words... Um, the job responsibilities, mentor, inspire, coordinate, and manage FSF staff, building a culture that upholds the FSF's ideological principles and includes accountability, empathy, efficiency, and excellence. 
I just thought it was funny because in the job description, they asked for someone with a ton of empathy, but like they have no issue bringing back Richard Stallman, which whether you love him or hate him, I think we can all agree he's not necessarily the most empathetic individual. So <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. All right, next we're going to talk about Freenode, which I believe we briefly mentioned a little while ago. Uh, recently, a couple weeks ago, I think, uh, Andrew Lee took over Freenode, and Andrew Lee is the founder of uh, Private Internet Access VPN, and he immediately began to make some changes to Freenode, which is, I correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that's part of the IRC network, like it's one of the major parts of the IRC network. Uh, among many of the changes, he began to suspend various channels, and a lot of people have been calling this a hostile takeover, and as a result, many projects have chosen to move away to other platforms. Like, I know Matrix, of course, has their own platform, but they disconnected their their uh, free node room. They used to be linked, and they disconnected it. Ubuntu has announced that they are moving to LibraChat, and yeah, uh, lots of people are just kind of going all over the place, but Ubuntu, you know, is, of course, a, a major leader in this space, so that probably counts as a bit of an endorsement. In response to this, Andrew Lee has claimed that these moves, these suspensions were made in the name of enforcing moderation. Basically like, well, now that I'm here, we're gonna actually moderate the platform. And he claims that some of the channels were closed by accident and he will restore them. It's a, It was an interesting statement from my perspective. Uh, Henry, you said you had some thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I just wanted to mention that uh, this is still very much unfolding. If you listen last week, we talked about how there was this hostile takeover, which it's still it was kind of unclear who was <laughs> who was fully responsible for it. So we're we're just gonna un see how this unfolds. Hopefully, this doesn't turn into like a graphene copperhead situation. Oh god, <laughs> which is like immediately what it looks like. <laughs> I mean, everybody on both sides of this one seems to be a little more level-headed, at least. Yeah, I I'd agree with that. <laughs> okay, and our last FOSS story. The popular website, Have I Been Pwned, has gone open source and will be getting data from the FBI. So, Have I Been Pwned is a really popular website that people can use to check and see if your information has been caught up in a data breach. I actually randomly looked up my old email address a few weeks ago. I'm not sure what possessed me to do that, but... I actually found a couple that I didn't even know I had been caught up in. There, there were like four or five. I was like, yeah, I heard about that one, heard about that one. I knew I was in that one. Oh, I didn't know about that one. Anyways, um, they've gone open source. And furthermore, the FBI will be directly contributing any compromised passwords that they come across to the database. So I'm not sure why the FBI is deciding to do that. But either way, this is going to make it a better database for all of us because a lot of companies and, and plugins and stuff actually rely on Have I Been Pwned's database. So yeah, open source, more... More data coming in. I'd say this is a win all around. All right, and now we're going to go into our misfits. And our first story is an individual who was a sixth grader was expelled after Zoom provided a possibly inaccurate IP address. Someone Zoom bombed a school meeting, and this one student has been blamed for it because they had a matching IP address to the Zoom bombers. It, it seems very clear this individual didn't do it. That seems undeniably clear. So the, the main issue here is how is this done? So some people think that he did do it, but he was able to change the router configuration to match the certain IP address, but he's like, I have no clue how to do that. You know what, since, since it's still unfolding, I'm not gonna comment too much on what likely happened and hopefully we'll just see what happens, but they are suing the school district in retaliation and the case is looking very good for them so far. So we'll see if there's any updates to this story and if 
we get more information about how this was done and who was possibly responsible for it. Speaking of horror stories based on IP address, uh, this, this one is actually legitimately terrifying. A couple in England, fortunately I don't think they were arrested, but they were visited by the cops because they were accused of having uploaded child porn. All the electronic devices were confiscated. This included the husband's work computer because this was recent. This was during lockdown, so everybody was working from home. The, the work computer needed to be decrypted, which meant that he had to go to work and tell his boss about this case so that they could decrypt the computer for the police. The, the case is still kind of unfolding a little bit, but basically it does seem like everybody's kind of in agreement that this couple has never been in possession of anything like that. Uh, they have two kids who were for some reason allowed to keep their iPads. But uh, everything was confiscated except for the two iPads, the router, for some reason. Just a, an absolute horror story. You know, it's uh, like the couple even admitted they had suicidal thoughts during some of this because it was just such a nightmare. And yeah, horrifying. And so the, uh, the kicker here that's, that we're sharing this for, one of their friends who works in IT suggested that the router might have some clues. And the couple admitted they've never changed any of the defaults. Like, the router came with a password, so they just went ahead and started using it right out of the box. And stuff like this, like, granted, these stories are rare, but still, like, holy crap. That that would be a life-destroying experience. Like, change your default logins. Change your default Wi-Fi. Change all of that. Because, I mean, man, if they had just changed a password, I guarantee you they would not be in this situation right now. And that's just, yeah. That's a horrifying story. So, And uh, just to drive that home, the, the article is a quote. It says, did weak Wi-Fi password lead the police to our door? So, yeah. And we're going to end on a kind of funnier note. A Liverpool drug dealer who used EncroChat has been jailed. I'm, I'm going to bury the lead just a little bit. For those who don't remember, EncroChat was a uh, encrypted device network, I guess you could say. it. It was a company that sold pre-encrypted phones, and it became really popular with criminals. I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, EncroChat was based on the Signal protocol, so when this got compromised, a lot of people were freaked out that Signal had been cracked. That's not what happened. The devices had been cracked because all the devices came from the same manufacturer. Anyways, as part of the investigation, police managed to convict somebody because he posted a picture where his fingerprints were lifted from that picture. That's how good the camera is. The picture was him holding a block of cheese. So I, I don't know if he was just saying, like, look at this cheese I bought, or if he was, like, trying to sell the cheese, too. I don't know what the deal is with the cheese, but, I mean, I get it. Cheese is amazing. But, yeah, um, just remember, cameras are getting really, really good, and be careful what you post because you never know how it could be used against you. And, I mean, I don't really feel too bad for this guy because he pleaded guilty to dealing, like, heroin and all kinds of drugs that will ruin your life. But still, just uh, kind of funny, taken down by cheese. All right, and that is going to wrap up this week. And we had a lot of stories again this week which don't really have conclusions, so make sure you're following our podcast wherever you're listening from so that we can keep you updated for next week. We'd be honored to keep you updated. Again, the promo spot this week is going to be for Abine's Delete Me service. This is something that if you're on people searching websites and you've ever been through the journey of removing it from all these countless websites, 
you can just give it to Abine and they'll do it for you. It's really nice. Um, if you don't have this issue, then obviously the service isn't for you. But from people that I've talked to, especially from consulting, when these people have a lot of things to do in their lives and they have their service or they have their information online with all these different services, it's just incredibly efficient and it's very automated and it was overall great. And their, their team members seem really friendly. We've we've talked with them, we've interviewed them. They're, they're great. Again, link below as well as the review we did for them on our channel if you want to see more information about it before you actually get it. Again, we want to thank you for listening to the surveillance support. Uh, we want to keep you updated on this stuff and we hope that we're delivering that to you every single week. Thanks again. Make sure to share our podcast around to new people and we'll see you next week.